0: So uh, so today we're, we're going to be talking uh, about something that pastors oftentimes get a little nervous about, especially if there's new people <laughs> there because they might think this is what you talk about all the time. But we are going to be talking uh, about money because the passage that we're talking about today is about money. And it's not strictly about money, it's about generosity. And uh, I, don't, I don't mind talking about it because every week I talk about communion and I say his body was broken for us which means it needed to be broken which means we're all really bad. Uh, so if I can say that uh, I, can, I can talk about money I think. Um, so uh, sometimes we don't quite get all the lessons God wants to teach us with regard to how we should handle our stuff from our money to our things. And John Ortberg tells a story about an incident that he had with his daughter who is now grown, so it's many years ago, uh, when she was young. And it's one of those cases where you think you're teaching your kids something, but then maybe maybe it's something else that you're teaching them. And so uh, he and his wife wanted to teach uh, their kids good stewardship, and one of the ways they did it was by using an envelope system, and they encouraged the kids when they would get their allowance to break it up so they would have a like a spending envelope, a giving envelope, a saving envelope, that sort of thing, to, to teach them you know, to give a portion and to manage their, their money well. So um, one day he comes into the room and he's got a Band-Aid on his arm and his daughter sees the Band-Aid and she goes, Daddy, what's that? And he goes, well, um, I just went to get a medical exam in order so that I can apply for, med- for life insurance. And she says, "Well, what's what's life insurance?" And he says, "Well, I, you know, Daddy loves you so much and loves the family so much that if anything were to happen to Daddy, the insurance would provide two hundred and fifty thousand dollars." And immediately he said, "Ah, a little bit too much for like an eight-year-old girl," um, and I probably have like shaken her up. She's not going to be able to let go of this until she responded with. a piece? (laughs) Did he make that story up? I don't know. I think he's an honest man. Uh, So anyways, uh, I I wonder if sometimes if uh, if God looks down at us and thinks the same thing. Because God does tell us that we should enjoy the things that we have. And even there's, there's a passage where it says we, we should enjoy our possessions. Uh, no, more than one passage. Uh, God is not anti-enjoying life. God has a lot of uh, advice, especially in the Proverbs, on investing and on saving, all that sort of thing. But he also talks about not letting money take hold of our hearts, ruin our lives, not becoming a God for us, being generous with what we have. He's, he says all of that as well. And sometimes I think he looks down and he looks at us and he goes, it seems like you're getting some of the other lessons or at least working on that and trying, but I'm not sure you're hearing about its dangers. I'm not sure you're hearing about how I want you to take what I've given you and share it with others as well. Um, So the Bible clearly teaches, this this is kind of the bottom line of what we're talking about today, that if we place ultimate value on things of limited value, things of ultimate value will have limited value in our lives. It actually brings down the value of things. And that is a mistake, I want you to think about this, especially those of you who are financially savvy, that is a mistake that compounds over time. And for those of you who are uh, savvy about raising kids, it is a mistake that is easily passed on to the next generation, really easily. And so um, I think it's important to talk about this. And so we're gonna look at some powerful reasons why we should be generous, that the Apostle gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us in the passage we're looking at today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, you can grab one of those, it's page 1161 um, on those Bibles, and if you have a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. We're, we're talking about this today, we're looking at this passage today because we're, we're in a series that is working its way through the entire New Testament, and that's where we find ourselves today. We're following the kids' curriculum. This is what the kids are looking at today. And they're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So uh, every week we follow what they're doing. We've been doing this for almost three years. And so um, that's why we're doing this. Uh, if you're new with us today, hopefully you got one of these green, new here brochures on your way in. Uh, also, you can pick up, uh, on the inside is these uh, sermon application guides. And you can pick these up on the way in on any given week uh, in the kiosk that are at the beginning, right at the uh, beginning of the rows there. There's room for taking notes. There's questions for families. Uh, there's reflection questions. At, at Five Oaks, we're, we're not interested in just getting more information into our heads. We wanna bring the story of God to life in our daily lives. And um, so, with that in mind, We're gonna pray, and then we're going to uh, jump into today's passage, and this prayer is based on Luke chapter six, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a faithful and generous God. We needed a savior, so you sent us your son. We needed to know you, so he gave up his life. We needed a helper, so you left us your spirit. Your goodness and grace has been poured out for us. As we look to your word and seek to know you more, remind us that the abundant life that you offer is a life of overflow. Lead us to be generous givers. Lead us to be a people poured out for your kingdom and for your glory. Father, today I just wanna spend just a few moments just asking you and and, um, thanking you for our our seniors, uh, high school seniors who are graduating here over these days. Um, just thank you for them. I pray for them as they go on to this, this next challenge in their life, whatever it's gonna be in their lives. I pray that, that they will seek you out. I pray that they will, uh, if they move away or if they stay around here, that they'll find people to connect with who believe in you and follow you, that they will find a place of worship and that they will continue to grow in their relationship with you. I pray that they'll be able to really leverage these next few years for your kingdom uh, to, to impact other students and to draw them closer to you. And Father, um, VBS is coming here soon and what an opportunity to minister to so many families and so many kids and just thank you for that. Thank you for all the people who are volunteering for that. Uh, I pray that it'll be a really impactful week in kids' lives and um, and Father, I pray for the grieving families right now in West Virginia and uh, just what their, the sadness, the pain, the, the craziness of it, Father. Um, and Father, I just pray that you'll, you'll encourage them in, in some way, that they'll find their comfort in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at seven reasons for growing in generosity. They're provided by the Apostle Paul as he's speaking to Christians in Corinth, uh, but they uh, apply to us as well. So the first reason that Paul gives for growing in generosity is that generosity is contagious. And so when we're generous, other people will oftentimes be encouraged to be generous as well. And so, as our passage begins today in chapter 8, what's happening is Paul is trying to inspire the generosity of the Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church. Um, And he's trying to do it by talking about the generosity of another church, specifically the church in Macedonia. And the Corinthians at the time of this writing were much better off financially than the Macedonians. The Macedonians had gone through some very difficult times. And so, um, Paul is concerned that while the Corinthians are better off, that they are not going to come through in their giving to a project that they have committed to give. At issue is a commitment that both churches had made uh, to give to a project, specifically that the Apostle Paul wants to take a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem. And they've gone through some really difficult times. We're not quite sure what it is, but probably famine uh, in that area. And so he is working his way towards Jerusalem through the Roman Empire, going back to churches that he had founded or that he had influenced in one way or another. He's sent emissaries ahead of time. He's asked them to take a collection. He doesn't want to have to take a collection when he gets there. He just says, take the collection before I come. They've made a commitment to, to this uh, collection. But the church in Corinth, for some reason, seems to be faltering and coming through. Uh, we don't know how he knows that, we don't know what's going on, just, it's just that he spends a lot of time talking about it. And usually that suggests something has gone wrong and so he's trying to counter that by trying to speak to that. Uh, at the very least, we get a lot of teaching about generosity and a lot of teaching about what, what God's perspective is on, on money and all of that. But in the process uh, of all that, he gives a powerful explanation of why our faith And generosity are indelibly linked. That it would be very hard to pull those two apart. Uh, So let's let's start where he starts, where he changes subjects in the letter that he has written them. And now he brings up this subject that he's going to carry all the way through chapter 9. So chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, when I'm reading, you might want to Notice how many times he talks about grace um, in here because there's a strong connection between grace and generosity. In the midst of a very severe trial in Macedonia, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people, specifically talking about Jerusalem and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Titus is, as you read the book of Acts, Titus is one of Apostle Paul's ministry partners. And oftentimes his emissary. And he's the one that Paul has sent ahead uh, to take these collections before Paul arrives. So what's happening here? As I said, Paul is seeking to inspire the Corinthian congregation through the giving and generosity of the Macedonian congregation. The Macedonians example is especially powerful for the Corinthians and for us because they were going through some extreme poverty. They were going through some very you know, difficult times and they gave in spite of that. And, and that's how it works. Real stories of real sacrifice inspire us as well to live sacrificial lives. It's contagious, it just, it, just, it, it inspires. So uh, a few years uh, ago, uh, I was inspired uh, by one of our families. We were, we were doing a special offering. I don't know if it was a campaign, I can't remember uh that we were doing and so this this family had decided that for their florida vacation rather than flying as they normally did they were going to drive and take the money the difference in uh between the two a big enough family to make to make a significant difference and to be able to give it to our to this project that that we had together and i i know that was inspiring for me when you see something like that that's it's happened uh I remember uh, the last time we had uh, a campaign several years ago, uh, one family making uh, a sacrifice that I said, ah, you know, that probably pulled another, you know, $10,000 out of me. <laughs> you know, it was like, ah, you know, if they can do that, uh, I can, I can, I can do more. And so we're, we're inspired by that. Now. When a family decides to do it together, there you're doing the opposite of what I said earlier. Now you have the compounding interest, in a sense, of generosity, and you also have a legacy of generosity that you're passing on to your kids. But sometimes it can be really difficult to do that as a family. Okay, um, my kids are grown now, but I, I have not forgotten how difficult it was to do things like that as a family. Because a lot of times when we present that idea to our kids, an idea like that, or we say, hey, because we're doing this and because we're giving in this area, we, we're not gonna be able to do this or we're not gonna be able to, as a family, you know, experience something. Um, it, it's, it's usually not like the Norman Rockwell paintings. <laughs> you know, where everybody looks at their father adoringly and say, oh yes, that's just wonderful, thank you. You know, it's not that kind of a reaction. So uh, I, I just wanna stop for a moment and say, how do, you, how do you do this as a family and increase the chances that, uh, the kids will also be all in on something like this. So that the lesson doesn't have to wait until they're like 30 years old and go, oh yeah, you know, it it did have a positive effect. But maybe it can take its effect when they're a lot younger. So one of the ways to do that is to talk about it with your kids before you make the final decision. And and when I say that, I'm not saying that the kids have veto power. Um, What I'm saying is the kids get to have input. And the exciting thing about the kids having input, if we'll really be honest with ourselves, the kids might come up with a better idea. Or they might actually add value. They might bring their creativity and their imagination to the situation. And they might come up and they might might find ways of doing the same thing but doing it better or finding something else that would accomplish the same thing. Another another way to, to kind of up the chances of it maybe having a little bit better impact right at that moment is to explain the why behind it. So I put a blog post a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you can go look at it. I highly recommend it for parents. But I gave a little excerpt and then put a, a podcast that it would be good to listen to if I, a, a, as a parent. And so uh, what it was is, the, these couple of guys, or this guy talking about how do we pass on our values to our kids and saying for every what, there should be two whys. So for whatever what, whatever it is, some Christian teaching, the what, some kind of value, the what, we ought to give two whys. And one of the whys is going to be um, scripture. Well, we do this because the scripture says to do this. Um, within that same why, he says, it can be just a rational explanation of why this is a good thing. Uh, On the other hand, the second why is, this is why it's good for you. Um, It's good for you in this case, for example. It's good for us, for example, because when we get everything that we want and we never give or sacrifice, it's not good for us. It shrinks our souls. It actually shrinks our hearts. So it's giving the why behind Uh, something. Two whys. A why, a biblical rational. The other one, how does it impact you in this way? How does it impact us as a family? The third uh, recommendation here is to make it fun. And so for every sacrifice, it would be really important to make it fun. Make it a joyful experience. Uh, It doesn't, fun does not have to cost money or a lot of money. So you may give up money, you may give up a big experience or something like that. Uh, It may mean more work or something like that, but you can make the work fun. Now, God actually made, it's been a while since I talked about this, those of you who have been around here for a while know maybe where I'm going, but God made giving fun in the Old Testament. Uh, Went out of his way to make giving fun. So once a year, uh, there were several tithes. There were several times when the people of Israel were to take 10% of something and bring it. And then one of them had to do with the first fruit of the harvest. And so take the 10% of that and bring it to the temple. And, uh, and so Paul gave instructions for what that was supposed to look like way before they even had the temple. And before they, um, he said that there's gonna come a day where you're gonna have a place that you're gonna go to and you're gonna take your tithe. And when you do that, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather your 10% and here's what he says in Deuteronomy. He says, then spend a portion of the tithe for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. What's, what's going on here? Well, we're going to read uh, in just a few moments, God loves a cheerful giver. And so all, all the way back in the Old Testament, well, we, you know, th- things that some people think are like this overweight, what, 10%? Are you kidding me? Asking the Israelites to give 10%. It's like, no, I, yeah, I don't want you to make your stuff your God. That's why I'm asking you. I'm, I'm asking you to live your life trusting me. That's why I'm asking for that. That's why I'm asking you for the tithe. But it doesn't have to be a gloom and doom thing. I want you to throw a party. I want you to, I mean, the whole Old Testament is filled with parties that the people of Israel several times a year were to gather together and enjoy a party together. He wanted cheerful givers. That was part of the way he did it. He made it fun. And we ought to make it fun as well. This is the kind of thing that uh, in our parenting journey classes, if you've been to those, when Pastor John talks about the importance of developing strong relationships with our kids. This is what he's talking about, it's this kind of a thing, where you develop a strong relationship and you can have a strong influence uh, in that way. Okay, so the first reason Paul gives for growing in generosity is that generosity is, is contagious. The second reason is generosity is an overflow of having received grace. So look at verse seven. Now, he's already said, he's already called this thing, if you look just back in verse six at the end, talking about the, the giving uh, this offering, he calls it an act of grace. And he adds to it, but since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love you have kindled, we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving an act of grace, a grace of giving. What he's talking about is that generosity is an overflow of us having received grace. Look at verse eight. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. All right, now that's, that's an interesting verse because if you, if you If you're following his reasoning here, what it can come across, that on its own can come across a little bit manipulative. (laughs) It's like, uh, I want you to give a lot. Look at these guys. It's almost like saying, Why can't you be more like your older brother? (laughs) All right. So um, it comes across that way, but it actually doesn't if you continue reading. So we'll skip verse 9. We'll come back to that in a second, but listen to what it says in verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you on this matter. Last year, You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your ego willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So the point he's he's trying to make here is you guys, it's you who made this commitment. I'm not telling you you have to give to this collection. I never did. I asked you, and you guys were among the first to say, we want to give to this, and so what he's saying is, I want you, I I, I want to test that love. Um, I want you to see how the Macedonians, they did the same. They had a downturn financially, and they still gave. They gave sacrificially. These people have not had a downturn. And he's asking them to give. And he's saying, I don't even want you to give beyond what you can give. I'm not saying like break the bank in order to do this. He's saying, um, give what you can. And then in verse nine, we'll go back now and see how he drives home again the grace of giving. Look at verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so he, he speaks right to this overflowing of grace. You've experienced the grace of Jesus who comes to earth from heaven, who leaves riches behind to live a life of poverty and then to die for us. Let that be an example um, of, of for our own giving. So the third reason Paul gives for generosity is that generosity affirms human worth. It affirms the dignity of human beings. and So look at verse um, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. And we're gonna come back to that word equality in just a moment. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply um, what you need. The goal is equality as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And that's looking back to their time, the Israelites time uh, in the wilderness um, when God provided the food for them uh, daily. Now at first glance, as you read that with that word equality in there, it can, almost, it's, it, it can sound like what he's promoting is some kind of, Wealth distri- distribution, a kind of a, a radical communism or something like that. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna show you that that is not what it's saying, and uh, not because I don't wanna read the scripture uh, f- for what it says, but because it actually is not saying that. And there's several reasons for that. One of the, one of the reasons that it's actually not saying that is uh, because of the practice of the early church. This was not practiced in the early church, wealth distribution. Now, some people think it is because of what it says in Acts chapter two. So when the first church is founded, what happens is it says that no one had needs among them in the church because no one considered what they had to be their own. That sounds like possibly you know communal living, let's you know all move in together and, and uh, throw all the money in one pot, except that when you get to chapter four, describing the same exact thing, but giving a little bit more detail, What it says is, that as needs arose, someone would sell a piece of property, a house, some other kind of possession, and they would give it to provide for the needs. All right, chapter five of Acts. Uh, There's a man and a woman, and some of you may be familiar with the story, Um, many of you will be, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And they sell land or a house, and they come and they put it at the apostles' feet, and they say, Here's, this is the pro, these are the proceeds from the house that we sold. And Peter looks at them and says, is, Was this a requirement? <laughs> it wasn't a requirement, was it? This is not compulsory that you had to sell anything. So why are you lying? Because that's not, because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him. That's not the proceeds, that's only a part, part of the proceeds. And you remember uh, the rest of the story. So people own things, they sold them as needed uh, because that's the way the economy worked in, in that time. And so it's, it's also how it works to some degree today as well. And so the practice of the church, if the Apostle Paul is introducing a new idea that there's supposed to be wealth distribution, and let's, let's take all the extra, let's just keep the necessities, let's send it all down to Jerusalem, he would have to do a lot more than simply um, saying what he, what he says here. Uh, so, Uh, secondly, uh, the reason it's not wealth distribution is because the word that's used for equality here is a word having to do with equity and fairness, equity and fairness. So the idea that Paul is communicating here is basically, does it feel right to you? You have leftovers, you have surplus, you have all this stuff and the Your brothers and sisters in Christ down in Jerusalem right now don't have basic necessities. That's the point that he's making. In fact, one translation captures that. It says, it's only good for you that you should help those in need. It's only fair that you should help those in need. That's the equity word, the fairness word. It's only fair that you would help them. And it's only fair, what he says to them, is that someday maybe you'll be in need and they will have plenty and they'll be able to help you as well. So, um, uh, that's, that's what he's getting at there. Thirdly, here's the third reason. The underlying idea of all of this is the, is the dignity of human beings. The dignity of human beings. By talking about equality here, what, what Paul is saying is, don't get the mistaken idea in your mind that somehow you're better than they are because right now you're blessed financially. They are as... as as uh, loved by God as you are, but they're going through a difficulty. That's, that's what he's driving home here when he's talking about uh, giving um, to, to the Corinthians. They are no less important to God than you are. So generosity uh, affirms human worth before God, and the fact that all humans have dignity before God is one of the reasons that Christians are called to share with people in need because of the dignity of other human beings, the love that God has for them. So uh, if you go to my, my, uh, my, my blog, um, I've posted yesterday a couple of podcasts by Russell Moore that it, there's probably you know, a handful or two handfuls of podcasts that I wish I could have, I wish I could require, I wish I could just, pl- let's not do my sermon, let's just, let's just listen to this podcast. It wouldn't work very well. Uh, but that I wish I could get everybody in the congregation, and these are two of them, and it's, it's a couple of podcasts where Russell Moore does something in a way that uh, is just about as, as good as anything I've ever seen, where he concisely explains the connection between the gospel and social justice. And so um, I would encourage you to go and see that. It's henry-williams.net if you've never been there. So the first reason that Paul gives uh, for growing in generosity is that generosity is contagious. The second reason is that it comes from an overflow and as an evidence of grace. The third reason is human worth. The fourth reason is generosity impacts people's lives. This is the most obvious one, all right? So so look at verse 13 where he says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. Our desire is not hard, you know, he's saying you're going to relieve their need. And that's what giving does. It relieves a person's need. But it's not all that giving does. That's what Paul is talking about here. But we know from scripture that that the apostle Paul, for example, was given gifts from the Macedonian church um, when he went to Thessalonica uh, on his mission so that he wouldn't have to work all day like he normally did. Making a living, and and so they were partnering with him in the gospel. So some of our giving goes to partnering with people in the gospel, in the proclamation of the gospel, whether it be in missions or the local church. It goes towards uh, bringing the gospel to the next generation, towards raising kids that uh, coming alongside parents. All those kinds of things. These are the kinds of things it impacts people's lives when we share. Fifth powerful reason is that generosity blesses the giver. Now we're jumping to chapter nine here in a moment. Uh, it is, it's hard not to hear what he's about to say with our own context that we have today uh, and miss really what he has to say in chapter nine. Because um, one of, the, one, of the, the, one of the movements that's happening all over the world and it works its way into all of our thinking to some degree is the, what's oftentimes called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel is just this idea that if you'll just have enough faith, God will make you rich and he'll make you healthy. And uh, unfortunately, the prosperity gospel, I, it, it is oftentimes being preached by people who have the basics of the gospel, but are kind of gone off uh, a little bit uh, from the gospel uh, on this? Uh, sometimes it's being preached by people who are con artists, without a doubt, and it's having a big effect on the world, on the church worldwide. And sometime we're going to need to really stop. And you know, and again, the people in those churches are oftentimes being duped, or at least partially duped, on what you know, what they should believe. And, um, but the prosperity gospel, that idea that if you will only give in faith and have enough faith, God will heal you and God will make you rich is a false gospel. That is not true. So um, try to hear Paul in his own context. Try to hear Paul in his own context because Paul if you read the apostle Paul, he will tell you, if you follow Jesus and if you have enough faith, you are likely going to suffer. <laughs> That's the overwhelming message. You're likely going to suffer. But it's not the whole message either. It's not you're likely going to suffer, get ready for desolation. <laughs> you know, life is going to be unhappy, rejoice. You know, it's not that kind of a message. So the Bible doesn't promote a prosperity gospel, but it also doesn't promote an utter destitution gospel either, all right? So, so hear him in his context in light of everything else he says, and beginning in verse six, uh, where he says this, remember this, so he's encouraging them, finish the work, finish this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, To God. All right. Um, It's safe to say this about giving. If we're not generous, we're going to miss out on all that God wants to do in our lives. And what God wants to do in our lives is better. This is what he's saying. Now say, I'm going to make you rich. Because the blessings come from all over the place. All kinds. Spiritual blessings. All kinds of blessings that God brings. It's better the plans that God has for your generous giving than the plans that you have for your own money. It's better, it's better for you, it's better for the church, it's better for our world, all right? But the blessings are of all kinds. It's not like this tit for tat, you know, you put in some money and you're gonna get some money out, that kind of a thing. Another reason for generosity is the generosity is an expression of worship. So look at verse 12 of chapter nine. This service, this giving that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Generosity, giving is an act of saying thank you to God. It extols God as our provider. When Jesus, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray um, the Lord's Prayer, and he said, say, give us this day our daily bread, all the disciples, all the disciples were able to earn their daily bread. They weren't destitute. So if you think it feels weird, you know, giving me my daily bread, I've got plenty of money <laughs> to be able to do it. What is Jesus driving home? God is the ultimate provider. If you have the ability, says this in Deuteronomy, preparing the people, you're gonna have so much when you move to the promised land, you're gonna have plenty. And you're gonna be tempted to think, I did it all. Rather than recognizing the very ability for you to plant is an ability that I have given you. All right, so it's, it's an expression of thanksgiving to God for his supply. One more reason for generosity is that generosity is a matter of obedience. So uh, mixed in to all this, he eventually gets to basically what our duty is as Christians, what he's calling us to, a command that he's given us. So look at verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them, And with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So he's talking about there in terms of, look at verse um, 13. About the obedience that accompanies your confession of faith. That's a really well crafted statement. There's a lot in this paragraph, but that's a really well-crafted statement. What is he trying to say? say what, what saves us is our confession of faith. And it's not just saying it with our mouths. It's got to be something from our hearts. That's what saves us. But what is going to come along, what's going to follow from that, a saving faith is going to show up in works. What he's saying is you're going to show obedience because of your confession. There's going to be a, uh, a match, not a perfect match, but there's going to be a match between your beliefs about God. And the way you live your life in obedience to to that same God. The God who saves you is also your Lord. That's what he's saying there. So he's talking about the word obedience. Uh, Simply put, it's a command. He's expecting them not to give to this, but to be generous. To be generous. He's expecting them to be givers. Not a suggestion. It's a command. But notice it's not simply a command. It's not simply about doing our duty. This whole passage calls for the heart to be in it, and then helps us put our heart in it. Doesn't just say, hey, put your heart into it. He spends two whole chapters raising our heart and our passion with Jesus who shows us the way, with God in his gracious giving, with uh, explaining how God will bless our giving. As um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, our, our giving is kind of like a kid who goes to, to dad and says, can I have some money so I can buy you a present? <laughs> God provides it. It's his, the Bible tells us. He owns it, we're not owners, we're, we're managers, we're stewards. And so it explains that God blesses our giving even though it wasn't ours in the first place. He still says I'll bless it and he explains that everything we give is from God's supply. So he's speaking to our hearts the whole time. So how do you grow a generous heart? I am out of time so I'm gonna go over this really quickly. Okay, Uh, number, number one, reflect and meditate on God's grace. How do you do that? You do it every week when we gather for worship. I mean, we turn to communion in a few moments. That's what we're we're doing. We're we're remembering God's grace towards us. Uh, another way to do it is by the way that we read the scripture. We need to read the scripture always with the story arc in mind. It's always pointing towards Christ and towards the sacrifice of Christ. That whole Old Testament, everything, is always pointing towards Christ. And so when we read it with that, and so uh, you know, a suggestion that I always make to families, but it's important actually for the adults because it'll change the way you read the Bible if you will read this Bible <laughs> to your kids. It's a, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because every single story as it retells the stories for kids points to Jesus. It's not the only one. We've got some other resources out there at the resource uh, wall, the Family Resource Center. So, i supposed to call it wall. I just messed up. Uh, Family Resource Center. Um, anyways, great, great book. And it will, uh, it, it will impact your reading of the Bible. Also, we have the Story of God course that we offer here eight times a year. We don't during the summer. But if you put story of God on your communication card, we'll put you on a list. And next time we offer it, when it comes up in the fall, we'll get something to you and we'll get you in there. All right, secondly, stretch and challenge yourself in your giving. So we talk about this always at the beginning of the year. We give you an estimate of giving card. We say, don't turn it in. And it's not your estimate of giving for the church. It's your estimate of giving. And we say, how much did you give last year? Don't tell us. <laughs> you to look at it. And say, can you stretch yourself a little bit? Because if you're at 0%, it might mean that you're in a financial place. It might mean that you're in a financial place where you know, to jump up uh, all of a sudden and start giving generously could keep you from paying the people you owe money to. Okay, something like that. So maybe if you're 0%, try giving 1%. If you're at 7%, maybe you can you can go to that kind of like benchmark of 10%. If you're 16, 17, 20%, bring it before God and say, God, do you want me to give more? All right, not a rule here, just saying, look in your own heart. One of the things that we do to try to help uh, our people get our head around money, manage money better, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not managing money well, it's just how do you manage your money well, better is Financial Peace University. So we offer that next year, again, uh, Put Financial Peace University, we'll put you on a list. We'll get in touch with you when it's time for that. Um, Number three, last one. Recount your blessings to God with thanksgiving. And don't just make it a recounting of material blessings, although you should. Don't just make it a recounting of relational blessings, family, friends, that sort of thing. Make it also a recounting of spiritual blessings. Again, that's what we do with communion that we're about to celebrate. It's an incredible blessing that Jesus, his body, was broken for us. So we take the bread, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. We dip it into the cup, remembering that his blood was shed for us. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's an act of worship. It is also a recounting before God the spiritual blessings that he's brought into our life. Let's pray together.